0: There is a new current term associated with the COVID-19 virus you may begin to hear more of regularly. It describes those persons who have survived contract the COVID-19 but are now dealing with a range of associated after recovery issues. They are called COVID long haulers. Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. Among the symptoms of post-COVID syndrome are chest pain, leg swelling, and heart irregularities. Persons can still experience these symptoms while still testing negative for any more virus. On this edition, we gain insight on this post-COVID virus syndrome from Kaiser Permanente virologist and infectious disease expert, Dr. Amy Ducro. What the heck is a COVID long hauler?
1: <laughs> well, the the term long hauler or long COVID is now being used to describe patients who have had COVID and then have prolonged effects from the disease. So whether they notice it right away or over time, they realize that they may be having some symptoms that they didn't have before COVID. And so that is all being put into, is this an effect from the having had that virus, that viral infection?
0: When it was first emerging and everybody, uh, at least the medical community, was saying it is the novel COVID virus This is the part of the novel that you're learning new stuff about it and what happens there. So we finally have a definition of what novel can actually be.
1: When we are dealing with any new infection that we haven't seen before, or we haven't seen as much of it as we ever had in the past, we, there's always new learnings that we are coming across. So with this infection, which was, as you mentioned, the novel coronavirus, a new coronavirus to our human race, we then had new things to learn about. How does this behave? How do we manage it? What is the lower likelihood that someone's going to die if we uh, manage them a certain way in the hospital? And then also, what are these long-term effects that someone may experience? So not having had exposure to the virus in the past or to this infection, we didn't know what to expect. I will say that what is interesting to me as an infectious diseases specialist is, I remember when we were all in the United States dealing with this surge of West Nile virus. And at the time, there was a surge of these cases. It was sweeping from east to west. And and the medical community initially had said, no, this is just like many other viruses. It's a self-limited meaning it's, it's just comes and goes on its own time, and then there's no effects from it long-term. But then as we began to gain experience with seeing the virus and people were reporting more things, we realized that, in fact, there is a sequelae or that people were having these long-term effects. So in my experience or in my mind, the, our, our current learnings with COVID are similar to what we saw with West Nile in that We don't know a lot of things about viral behavior, and we're learning more about this particular one as we go forward.
0: Some of the things that I've been able to do in some research to uh, determine some issues, there's some heart issues which some people may have, breathlessness while walking, you know, fatigue, something called brain fog. And uh, the first time I heard about the heart issues, it was more associated with young adults, especially athletes who may contract the virus and keep playing. And so now we're seeing that some of these long haulers can have some of the same determinations. What other issues have you come across in your uh, practice that long haulers are having to deal with and symptoms?
1: We're hearing a lot of people complain of feeling breathless as their normal activities wouldn't uh, overtax them but then they feel more short of breath or they may may feel more tired after exertion. So fatigue is a big one. The brain fog uh, that people describe that may be associated with some memory loss or attention difficulties or slowed processing, that's pretty common. And a lot of these things are are pretty nonspecific. So it's hard to pin them on one thing exactly, but what I've seen come across through the reports that are that are being released are that a lot of people who complain of these symptoms or who have these symptoms are noticing multiple of these things affecting them. So it could be the ones that I mentioned or muscle aches or joint aches, et cetera. Those would be the more common symptoms, and then the ones that you are referencing around organ dysfunction where, Cardiac involvement or involvement of the kidneys or prolonged effects on the lungs, that's a much less common effect. And in general, it's really hard to say how many people or what percent of people who have COVID experience these because the reporting is difficult. There are the people who are experiencing these symptoms may be uh, more or less likely to report them. It's hard to get a gauge on what the overall numbers are, but yeah. it, what we're seeing is maybe somewhere between uh, one-fifth to a third of patients who have had COVID experience some long-lasting impact.
0: I know we were talking about fatigue, and when I first saw it, or breathlessness while walking, and I said, how's somebody going to know that, especially where we are here in Denver? uh with altitude, because a lot of people mm-hmm. come the to town they experience mm-hmm. exactly that and and right. maybe somebody's thinking they are reverting back to that again, and maybe it's not so i said this is, this stuff has got to be really hard to discern exactly what's going on then
1: yeah, I think that's really very true that the symptoms that are most commonly reported are pretty uh, as they're pretty nonspecific. So they're pretty general symptoms of they could be related to other things. For example, headache or the muscle aches or the, as you, you know, mentioning the the shortness of breath, fatigue, those are pretty nonspecific. It's hard to pin them on one illness, but I think what people notice is that there is a change. So I was feeling this way before I had COVID And now I notice that I'm having these prolonged effects or I'm not really quite back to my normal baseline. So that's where the the distinction comes in. And the other thing I think is really important to acknowledge that's different about COVID infection as opposed to other viral illnesses where you may have some longstanding effects are the mental health aspects. Because Uh with COVID, as much as we don't want that to be true, there is some degree of stigma, there's definitely the isolation component where when we are yeah. ill and when we're suffering or struggling, we rely on the people around us that we love and our communities. And without that support, that can be really challenging. So a fear of infecting others, the, uh, the isolation that people experience when they're ill, those all compound to make this a, a more unique experience than let's say a non-transmissible, non-contagious viral illness.
0: Are, are, are the mental health challenges kind of similar to what happened in the early days days of uh, of AIDS? And somebody, uh, a person would see another person who even looked a little thin, and they would think, "Oh my gosh, they may have AIDS." And I just, I can't talk to them. I got, I can't get anywhere near them. Is that the mm-hmm. same type of mental reaction to this that we had then?
1: Well, early on in the COVID pandemic, we wanted to be really careful as healthcare professionals to make sure that we were doing as much as we could to reduce stigma around this disease because yeah. there is that concern that on top of having this illness, that then people would feel labeled or isolated, or for lack of a better term, you know, people feeling really singled out or like they're being treated as lepers. And we definitely do not want the people who are already in pain um, or suffering physically or emotionally to be further stigmatized by our community. So I think it is a a really important concern, not only in the beginning, but also ongoing throughout this pandemic.
0: So this is something then that the uh, mental health community needs to take a look at that may be formulating, uh, uh, what do they call those, uh, support groups? and things like that, especially if someone has come down with COVID and they live alone. And in Denver, we've got 40 to 45% single people here in all age groups that um, to get themselves some mental support, then the mental health community needs to be uh, taking a second look and stepping in there, I think you might recommend.
1: Right. And, And, you know, of course, everything about how we have engaged with each other and how we're able to support each other needs to be different now. So however we can facilitate communities, strengthening, understanding, uh, patience and compassion with one another will be a really important way of supporting anyone who's dealing with COVID or the loss related to COVID. Many people experiencing loss of friends or family or coworkers. Uh, this is a really serious impact aside from having had the illness, but I think it calls to mind that. There, there will need to be a, a broader response within our communities and from our healthcare professionals to support the mental health challenges that have resulted from this disease.
0: I think one of the curiosities about it is that a person can have the syndromes and still test negative for the virus sort of like uh, young people saying, well, I still test negative, but they are, but they may be asymptomatic carriers. And I may be confusing that a bit, but uh, it, it, it seems that that may be the case as well. You know, saying if I have a negative test, that means I, I, I should be okay.
1: Right. I think this the, the fact that the testing may not be done at the time of symptoms can confound really our our better understanding of how many people are affected. What exactly is the likelihood of this happening? One thing we do that has been recognized is no matter the severity of illness. So whether you were hospitalized in the ICU on a ventilator or had uh, infection and you were in the community setting, it doesn't really seem to correlate whether or not you're going to have COVID long-term symptoms. So I do think that the testing makes things a little bit more difficult. We know that tests can stay positive for several months, but then if someone maybe earlier in the condition, earlier in the pandemic, when our testing supplies across the nation were so limited, people may not have been tested, but yet they're suffering with some longstanding or chronic effects that they they can't really name or put together otherwise. So the entire process makes it very difficult to Put a finger on what we are what we are experiencing and what to expect from having had infection.
0: For someone who is recovering from the infection itself, do these symptoms kick in as soon as the virus clears our bodies or it's over, or is there a delay? Maybe we're released from the hospital, we're feeling okay, and a week or so late a week or so later, these things start to start to kick in. And so we're really confused as to if it's related to the infectious disease or something we may have had before.
1: People's experiences are so different, not only managing infection, but also these complications or these long-term effects. So there's really no uniform experience of, here's what you would expect. Now, we know with the biology of the virus, if you are exposed, the incubation period or the time until you would develop symptoms is two to 14 days. But then from there, whether you get infection, infected uh, or whether you develop symptoms, how sick you get, whether you will have these long term effects, and when they will occur is really uh-huh. quite variable. So it's hard to say or advise people here's what to expect, which of course, uncertainty then increases a lot of our anxiety
0: as well wow there's still so much to learn here and it's still i guess in the uh, world of research everything is still is still new so you're doing a lot of fact-finding and trying to pull in as much information as possible and there's no one thing that fits all regarding uh the post uh, COVID effects that people could have if they contract the disease then can those who have it do a do we need to let them know on the air here? You all do a better job of reporting to your doctor so the rest of us can figure out what's going on.
1: Right. Yeah, th- you're right that there are so many different experiences. And just like with anything in medicine, there's a, you know what we call a bell-shaped curve. So most yeah. people will not experience long-term symptoms. But then some will have symptoms that are mild, some will have symptoms that are more significant, some will have them for shorter, some will have them for longer. So I would encourage anyone who's concerned about their health to always be in touch with your doctor and then the doctor or healthcare provider may be able to get you in touch with more information.
0: On this edition, our focus is the long-term effects after contracting COVID-19. The insight is provided by Kaiser Permanente Virologist, Dr. Amy Ducrow. We'll continue our conversation with her on our next edition. Madam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Stay in your game. Mask up and keep your distance when going out. And many thanks to you for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us.